You are listening to the Hippie Haven podcast, where we have honest conversations about how easy and sometimes how hard it can be to save the planet and why it's so important. If this is your first time listening, welcome. My name's Callie. I'm a zero waste activist and consultant, the founder of Bestowed Essentials, my line of ethical and eco-friendly lifestyle products, and I travel full-time around the United States in my camper van, hence my blog name, ahippieinavan.com, which is where you can go to learn more about me, this podcast, and all the work I do. My mission is to inspire you to take action, because the planet needs our help now more than ever, and I truly believe that together, we can make a difference. This episode of the Hippie Haven podcast is brought to you by Bombay and Cedar. Bombay and Cedar is a luxury beauty and wellness lifestyle subscription box featuring vegan and cruelty-free products curated for the modern woman who lives a life inspired. You can save 10% off your monthly subscription with code HIPPIE10. That's H-I-P-P-I-E and the number 10. Visit bombayandcedar.com to order now. And as always, thanks for supporting our partners. Thea Wayne is the CEO of Humble Flower Co., a line of cannabis-infused, pain-relieving skincare products sold in California dispensaries. Originally from Alaska, she moved to Northern California to attend Humboldt State University, where she started Humble Flower Co. in her apartment. As her business expanded, she moved to L.A., where she is now heavily involved in California's cannabis industry. I'm actually from Humboldt County, California myself, which is where I first heard of her work, and I've been following Thea on Instagram for over two years now, so I'm really excited to finally have a chance to sit down and talk with her. Thea explains the difference between THC and CBD, as well as the benefits of each, plus we talk about the waste in the cannabis industry and dispelling the stoner stigma. Tell me about your move to Humboldt and your background with marijuana before Humble Flower Co., Okay, so um, I grew up in Alaska, and I went to middle school and high school in a small town called Homer, Alaska, and um, a couple of years into high school, I just, I realized that kind of the direction a lot of the young adults were going was not where I wanted to go, um, and, you know, I just really felt like it was going to be a good and healthy choice for me to go to college as soon as possible, so I graduated at the end of my junior year of high school, um, and I went to a college fair with my mom and we were looking at all of the booths and we actually got in kind of a disagreement and we found each other again at the Humboldt State booth. And so um, it felt like a really good transition from rural Alaska to kind of another small rural community. It was bigger, about 20,000 people, but um, you know, there's, it's a beautiful place and it just felt like a really good transition um, for a young person. And so I didn't have time since I graduated so quickly. I didn't have time to visit, so I took you know a one-way trip down there, um, and just really fell in love with it. It's it's a really magical place, as all of the redwood trees, and um, just a very uh, progressive liberal community of people and artists and creators. Um, and you also become pretty integrated into the cannabis community there, kind of, um, without even realizing it, you, whether you like to partake or you're just interested in the plant or cultivating it, um, it just kind of seems like a stepping stone or rite of passage when you're living in Humboldt, um, to become involved in that industry. Very true. And you're right. Humboldt is so magical. I miss it. Yes. Um, it's incredible. So yeah, I mean, I had heard that cannabis was cultivated there, but I obviously had no idea the scale. And there's some estimate that the 
the Emerald Triangle, which is Humboldt County and the two other counties next to it, produce 80% of the cannabis for the United States and these three small counties. And um, so I was, you know, paying my way through college, working really hard, and I got an offer from a friend of a friend to trim cannabis. And that's kind of one of the ways you you become involved is, you know, it's, it's covered with leaves and stems and all of these things. And so your job as a trimmer is to break it down into what the product you may buy at a dispensary. And um, so I became pretty, you know, involved in that. It was an incredible way to um, help me pay my way through college and, I, but the, the entire time I was always thinking, you know, how can I take this a step further? How could my knowledge of this, you know, incredible plant kind of be taken to the next level um, instead of kind of, you know, trimming in, out in the mountains? <laughs> and where did the inspiration for Humble Flower Co. come from? Yeah, so a couple, I think my sophomore year of college, um, I was just, I wanted to play around with making balms and salves. Um, my mom is... Um, a nurse and has studied aromatherapy um, and is an herbalist. So a lot of the inspiration came from her. Um, she actually has a small uh, line of products called Sattva Botanicals, and um, they're non-cannabis infused, but she's really passionate about the plants and the harvesting. Um, and so she had, you know, her and I had kind of been discussing what the popular cannabis products were. And this was before it was legalized in California when legal sales were operating under what's the, the 215 Act. So there were still dispensaries. It just wasn't fully legalized like how it is now. And um, I, I remember being in my kitchen and I got some free trim uh, or shake from a friend that I'd been working for. And I essentially... Um, you know, you, you heat up a crock pot with olive oil and some essential oils and put the flour straight into it, let it cool for about 24 hours or let it heat and then cool for about 24 hours. Um, and then you strain out the cannabis and that's your, that's your balm. Oh, and there's beadwax, beeswax, obviously you need some type of hardening component. Um, and I bottled it up and I gave it to friends and that was really the start. Um, at that time, I was really interested in creating edibles, so I wanted to do sticks of cannabis butter that you could buy and olive oil, um, and I'm glad I didn't go that route because now the industry is so complicated and regulated that it would be really difficult to successfully run a, a small edible company. But so anyways, in my kind of experimentation phase, the, the balms and the skincare products were that's where it kind of originated. And where is Humble Flower Co. today, both literally as in your headquarter and your stockists, and then figuratively as in your successes to date? Yeah, so the headquarters would be my apartment down here in Los Angeles, um, and also my business partner's house. We have an office there. Um, we're pretty much a two-woman team. It's myself, and the CEO, and my, my very good friend and business partner, Jordan. She's the COO. Um, we manufacture our products in a licensed facility through a licensing partnership in uh, Coachella, California. So out in the desert where the actual the music festival is. Um, so there's a lot of driving involved in making them. Uh, we usually, you know, go out there and work for a week or two straight, make a, make a large order. Um, we're making about 10,000 units a month at this moment. So we're, we're pretty busy and um, we're in between 20 and 30 dispensaries and that's hopefully you know going to just continue to increase so we're definitely you know we're, we're pretty excited about everything we have a lot of um, you know we have a big customer base and market they're mostly 
older people in chronic pain. Um, our products are potently infused with CBD and THC from cannabis. So the users are getting a lot of the medicinal benefits of cannabis as well as the essential oils and, and the other healing compounds. But your products are only available in dispensaries in California, correct? Yes, that's correct. And um, unfortunately, it's, it's that limited with how the states are regulated. Let's talk about marijuana. So what is the difference between like marijuana and hemp? Cannabis and hemp come from the same plant. Um, when you're looking at like hemp CBD um, that's on the market, it's, it's grown differently. And it's also grown in the sense that in order for it to be legally, legally hemp, with the way that it's regulated between cannabis and the farm bill, which regulates hemp, it has to be under 0.03% THC. So it's classified as hemp and hemp CBD if there's practically very close to zero or zero THC in it. And the way that then it can move through the market differently and be shipped and be sold online um, is because there's no concern of getting the consumer high. It's, it's about... Um, and so CBD, that compound, is non-psychoactive, and you could eat as much of it as you want or, you know, adjust it, S- smoke, let's say, a, a 100% CBD type of flower, um, and you're not going to get high. So the government sees it as kind of a safe route and classifies it differently when it's that really low THC. It's going to be hemp. And there's a few states that can legally grow it. It can't be grown everywhere, um, but the Farm Bill allows people in um, Kentucky, Oregon, Colorado, and I think a few other states to grow that hemp. Um, you know, I think there's there's absolutely benefits to both. And it's, um, you know, the, the advantage of hemp CBD products is that you there's more accessibility to it. Um, and, you know, we, we get emails and calls every day from usually from older customers that bought our product or their, their son or daughter bought them a product and they don't understand why we now cannot ship it to them. So there's a lot of education and explanation that goes into um, our products because they're so unique. And when you look at them, that looks like something that would be safe and that could be shipped and bought online as opposed to actual cannabis, let's say. Mm -hmm. And what is the difference between CBD oil, the stuff that you see being sold um, all over the place? People are touting its medicinal benefits. What's the difference between that CBD oil and like hemp seed oil, which I believe is also just shortened to hemp oil, correct? Yes. So this is an issue that I'm actually pretty passionate about. It's It can be really frustrating for a cannabis business to see companies coming online and um, saying it saying something is cannabis infused and maybe selling it to Whole Foods or Sephora. Um, So the hemp seed oil is uh, an oil that's extracted from the seeds of the hemp plant. Um, And it absolutely has um, some benefits when it comes to skincare. Uh, There's a lot of brands, many companies and many products already have hemp seed oil in it, but they're not selling it as cannabis oil or CBD oil. Um, It's just an ingredient that is just going to have some hydrating and moisturizing benefits. Um, so what some of these companies coming online now realized is that hemp seed oil is connected to the hemp plant, connected to scientific name-wise, you could say it's cannabis. And so people are saying that it's cannabis or CBD infused. And the problem with that is that it's we're starting to really confuse the customers. And, um, you know, so let's say somebody has severe arthritis, which is something that our balms are really effective for helping with. Um, They could say, well, I don't want to drive a half an hour across my city to go pick up a Humble Flower Co. product, but there's this cannabis oil that I can order online 
Um, and they, they may not even really realize or understand that it doesn't contain cannabis, it doesn't contain hemp or CBD. And so it's, it's just confusing. And like I said, there's a lot of education that goes into our part, whether it be demo days or emailing customers online. Um, because I, I genuinely think that if I wasn't so far into this, if I wasn't a, an owner of a cannabis business, I would be confused. <laughs> um, there's a lot, a lot going on. And, you know, um, we want people to be experiencing pain relief. That's, that's our goal. Yeah. So to kind of wrap it up clearly, so hemp seed oil, which is also known as hemp oil, is often found in skincare products, has good benefits for the skin, um, but it doesn't have any THC or any of the CBD. Yep. And that's legal in all 50 states, right? Yes. 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 But yeah, so hemp seed oil, exactly. It's it's readily available. You can order it on Amazon, um, whereas hemp CBD is... it. It's, it's difficult to say. It's still a gray area, um, but everyone and their grandmother is selling it, it seems, online. Yes, it is. It is also legal in all 50 states because it doesn't have that THC that gets you high. Right. Um, however, brands are still running into issues, hip CBD brands, such as card processing and banking. Um, so there is a bit of a gray area in terms of it's not quite seen like um, any like another just like a normal non-infused skincare line. It, it is treated differently. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, another classification or difference between hemp seed oil and um, hemp CBD products is that you once you have CBD and THC in those compounds, you're getting the anti-inflammatory benefits and all the other benefits that come with that. Um, and I absolutely think that there are beneficial properties to hemp CBD oil and the things you are able to order online. Um, it's just, you know, again, it's different when you add the THC, THC, even though the goal, if you were to smoke a THC product would be to get high when you apply it topically, um, it's extremely anti-inflammatory as well. So it's a really good added compound to have in a product that you're putting on your skin for pain relief. And you use both THC and CBD in your products. Why is that? And can you explain the entourage effect a little? Yeah, exactly. So um, it's definitely correlated to the entourage effect. The more compounds you have um, in a product, and it could be an edible or, you know, um, or a topical, the more compounds you have, they're all going to be working together to create the entourage effect. And all of our bodies, everyone's body has an endocannabinoid system. So it's a system of receptors that are almost, you could say, designed to work with um, these different compounds like THC and CBD. And there's 50 more that they're researching right now, CBN, THCV. There's all of these other ones that have really unique properties. Um, so the more cannabinoids you have, the more it's going to be working with your body and you're going to be getting some added benefits from it. Um, the goal of the endocannabinoid system and how those, those compounds work with it is to, um, it, it's really trying to set your body into like homeostasis. It's trying to help kind of even things out in a way. And so, you know, when you're putting a topical on your skin or ingesting an edible, those compounds are going to be working with your body um, in a way to, to heal you, to help with imbalances. And can topical products with THC get you high? That is, I would say, up for debate. Um, the goal and the potency of our products is not to get people high. And we don't have anyone emailing us saying, I didn't want to get high, I did get high. That's really not the goal of our products. Um, you'll see on the market there, 
are like we we like to keep our products between like 150 and 200 milligrams of CBD and THC total. And there's kind of a point where with topicals, if you get into like, let's say six or 700 milligrams, which I'm seeing some brands do, there is a point where it's not going to be more beneficial because there's more cannabinoids. It's just going to be more expensive. Um, so, you know, uh, the goal of our products is not to get patients high. I think that there are some exceptions. Um, if you're putting a product on your lips, like a chapstick, there are more um, kind of blood vessels available, and there's a chance that THC could get into your bloodstream and into your system more so. In addition, um, bath bombs or bath products may have the potential to get you high. You're in hot water, your pores are open more. Um, but our five products um, are not getting people high as of now. <laughs> and where do you get the cannabis that you use in your products? Yeah, so at this point, it's sourced from a lot of different uh, legal and licensed farmers. It's then processed into an extract, um, which is then tested for about 70 different pesticides. And once we make sure we have clean product, um, then we infuse that more potent distillate product into our skincare items. Um, the reason we chose to do that instead of raw flour is because... Um, I don't know if you've ever experimented with balms or, or it's, it can be tricky to have them have a really long and, and stable shelf life if there's raw plant material in them. Um, we found that with our cannabis balms originally. We also like that method of using more of an extracted form because um, there's no cannabis smell. And we really try and set ourselves apart from other brands on the market because um, we don't open it up and it's not stinky. You can bring it to work. We're kind of trying to market towards, um, you know, the professional that would use our products. Yeah. I actually just recently bought some CBD oil to try because, you know, I heard all about the benefits and I wanted to see if it could help. I've been applying it topically on my skin to see if it helps with some inflammation and then taking it orally. Um, and I guess I hadn't thought about it. I totally should have expected it. But when I opened the bottle, I was like, oh, my God, this stinks so much like me. <laughs> and so now, like, you know, I'll, I'll take it, I'll put it on my skin and then I can smell it the rest of the day. And so I'm always conscious. I'm like, oh my goodness, like everybody that gets close enough to me is going to think that I like was lighting up right. just before I came here and <laughs> I, I don't smoke. I was just, I just took CBD oil. So. And that's hip CBD oil that has that smell? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so with the process we use, the smells are really removed and then, you know, we add back in essential oils with anti-inflammatory benefits and stuff like that. But um, especially with our lotions, which is kind of a unique product for the market, um, you know, you, a lotion would be really gross if it smelled, smelled like marijuana. So we, we definitely um, prefer our, our infusion method and, you know, we get good feedback from people that I, Hey, I have a bottle on my desk and no one even knows it has pot in it and I can put it on at work and stuff like that. So uh, Yeah. How can consumers ensure that their CBD and or THC products, whether they're edibles or topicals, how do they ensure that those are high quality? That's a really good question. Um, and I was just at a uh, CBD event where there was a panel about this. So um, again, and I'm um, probably a little biased here, but I, I definitely think if you have, if you're in a legalized state and you have access to dispensaries, it's absolutely the way to go with cannabis. Um, you can go into a dispensary and find something like we were talking about that won't get, won't get you high. So if you're going for a non-psychoactive experience, um, you can find that in a dispensary. Now, the reason that dispensaries are more of a beneficial experience is, um, all the products in there have gone through very serious um, testing 
regulations. And as a business owner, this is very difficult for us. It's very expensive and takes a lot of time to test each ingredient to make sure that they can go up to these standards. But from a consumer perspective, it ensures that your products are tested and safe. And it's honestly kind of alarming to think about what we were smoking or ingesting or putting on our skin cannabis-wise before these testing regulations came into place. Um, Like I said, there are about 60 to 70 different pesticides that they're testing for. And to be perfectly honest, if all of our foods were tested to these standards, there are shelves that our local grocery store would be empty. It's, it's pretty extensive. But from a consumer's perspective, when you're going into a dispenser, you can ensure that every single one of those products has paperwork attached to it that say that it passed and had you know below the certain amount of pesticides for each of those. Um, so you, you really are guaranteeing that you're getting quality product. It's, it's through a licensed company. And there's a ton of money and effort that's been put into making sure that it's clean and, and safe for you. Um, hemp is a little tri- trickier. <laughs> so um, there really aren't a lot of regulations for the hemp uh, CBD industry yet. I think that it's, I would say, a year or a year and a half behind cannabis. Because it's not, because hemp CBD is not a scheduled, federally scheduled illegal substance, I don't think it will ever be as regulated as cannabis. But I do think that they will come in and some some standards and some testing procedures. Um, so with Hemp CBD, it's really up to the customer to find a brand that they like and they trust. Um, you can find, you know, thousands of results if you Google Hemp CBD oil. But what I would recommend to somebody that's interested or that might not have access to cannabis or dispensaries is to um, try and find a company that maybe farms their own hemp or they have a close relationship with the farmer and you can see that from their website. Um, they might have photos of the farm and they might visit it um, and they might show their, their process there. Um, so it is, it is a little more extensive research wise if you want quality product. And if somebody is sick, you want to make sure that there aren't going to be any pesticides in the hemp CBD. So you can also request a company you might be interested in. You can request um, a COA, the certificate of analysis, and that will be a test result showing that you have um, a clean product. And it sounds like all these testing regulations are really just yet another reason of why marijuana should be legalized across the board because, you know, people are going to do it whether it's legal or not. So we we should be making sure that it's as safe as possible. Yes, absolutely. And making sure that, you know, yeah, that when you go into the dispensary, you there's a level of trust there because it is being regulated by the state. And so they want that as well. So let's talk about waste in the cannabis industry. There are strict legal rules around selling the products, obviously, with the testing and then with the packaging, for example. So tell me about California's packaging laws and the inherent waste that comes from that packaging. Absolutely. So it's been it's been a journey to get to our current packaging. um, And unfortunately, there is a lot of waste in this industry. Um, When we were operating under the 215 Act, there were no real packaging regulations. You had to have a couple of paragraphs of writing on your product. They didn't need to be child-proofed. So, and to clarify, like, the 215 Act is when it was just, it was um, medicinally legal in yes, California, correct? Okay. Yes, exactly. And now it's recreationally legal. Everyone over 21 can do it. Yes. Gotcha. Um, and now, um, when was it? Yeah. So January 1st, uh, 2018, the new regulations came out, and we already knew what they were going to be, so thankfully we were preparing. We were developing our child-proof packaging. Um, So essentially, 
the main cause of the waste right now in the industry is this childproofing regulation. And to me, it kind of makes sense for, let's say, an edible. Um, a kid might think it, the candy, it's a normal candy bar and, and eat some of it. So I think that there are some products that are more dangerous, and I understand where the childproofing is coming from. Um, but if you think about it, I mean, alcohol, the alcohol industry doesn't even childproof. It's, it's kind of crazy that these things are placed on us, which... These rules are placed on this industry because it's still a federally scheduled substance. So anyways, um, every product on the shelf has to be childproofed. And when we learned that, we definitely wanted to keep a lot of what people will do is they'll put um, their actual cannabis product in a box or even two additional boxes so that they can fit all of the writing on it and what's inside will be childproofed. Um, but we really didn't want to create that much extra waste. And so we were able to fit all of the required text and font onto um, our bottles. We had to increase the size of some of our products to do so. Um, but then it leaves us with the same product we had initially, which is just, a, it's a, you know, our product is in a glass jar or bottle. Um, and that's the only product that you have. And then you can recycle the glass. Um, the problem that a lot of dispensaries are having is, um, there was kind of a transition period where you didn't have to have the childproof packaging. And during that time, the dispensaries put all cannabis products, and many of them still do, into an exit bag. So it's a large, bulky plastic bag. And, I mean, these are the kind of things that people are starting to see on the ground. Exit bags, cannabis packaging. Um, and so, you know, some dispensaries and brands, um, and I would love to get involved with this, are doing, you know, cleanups that are kind of, uh, focused on cannabis dispensary waste, but it is really alarming as a brand owner to see that starting to happen, to be seeing a, a childproof exit bag on the street or a cannabis brand you know their their packaging littered somewhere um, because it's it's so unnecessary. You know, the people are going to throw those products away um, pretty immediately, the additional packaging. And, um, you know, we're really trying to advocate at least for topicals to not need to be childproofed and to have all this additional packaging and, and text on it. Um, because it's a really safe product, even if a kid were to put a little bit on their skin. Um, so, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of excess waste. There's a couple of um, online groups I'm a part of, and we're definitely trying to navigate that and, and figure out what we can do, whether it be writing to the, the BCC, which is who regulates the California industry, um, and figuring out what we can do to navigate that. And is it legally required that the dispensaries have to put the products into an exit bag? That's tricky. So at, at this point, the, the rules, they seem to change every couple of months. We're actually waiting for some of the final rules to come out in a few weeks. Um, so there was a period of time where before all the brands had to childproof, it was the, the job of the dispensary. And so they put everything into an exit bag. And now uh, the new rules are... Um, proposing some changes so that things might not have to all be childproofed, but still, in that case, the dispensary would have to provide an exit bag for every every customer that leaves. And like I said, they're big and bulky and plastic, and they just get thrown away. Um, so regardless, there is going to be some type of childproofing um, that goes into place, whether it's on the brand or whether it's on the dispensary, that's still um, to be determined. But yeah, regardless, there's a lot of excess plastic and product in this industry. And what was your company's decision process um, on choosing glass bottles instead of plastic? 
Yeah. So when I started, I started very, very small and, um, I, it was in my apartment in Humboldt and I would make, it would take me all day to make five of each item because I was teaching myself. I was new. I was trying to figure out, you know, my formulations. So we started very, very small and, um, and, you know, I would order 20 bottles of 20 glass jars online of each or, um, and kind of experiment with these really small quantities. And so I had already decided I wanted to do glass it, because it was recyclable, but really because of how beautiful it looked. I thought it looked really elegant and kind of, you know, more with who we were trying to target to. And the fact that people could reuse these um, or recycle them was just, you know, was an exciting bonus. And when it really kind of hit me, the route that I needed to take was when I started scaling up. So then I was making a hundred of each or a thousand of each. And it was just in, insane the way that these products would come from the, the glass companies. They would come, you know, with gallons and gallons of packaging peanuts and all of these boxes. And it was just like, it, it was really overwhelming. I remember having a couple of days where I was like, should I even do this? Like, I, I genuinely feel like I'm the, the volume, the size of the products I'm putting out is, let's say, you know, a large U-Haul box full, but the waste that I just had to go through and the waste I've created is 10 boxes. So it, that kind of hit me. And I started trying to navigate ways where I could um, bring that quantity down. So I would, you know, pay the extra to have products delivered on a pallet and on boxes. So we, you know, the packaging peanuts and excess boxes and bags, plastic would be there. Um, so I just kind of started navigating what I could do to decrease that because it was really shocking as somebody that had never um, owned a company before or never been into been in production before when I started scaling up to realize what what, what I was creating kind of. When cultivating marijuana, I, I believe I mean, I've, I've never done it, but I believe that there's a lot of like leftover parts of the plant. Do you know, like, what is the farm or the manufacturer's process with that leftovers? Um, do they compost it? Does it just get thrown in the landfill? Yeah. So another thing um, that, again, is hard for the businesses, but really great for the environment and the, the consumers in a way to know that this is how our products are being are being processed. There are a lot of rules in place for that process. Um, you cannot just take your stems and leaves from a huge cultivation farm, let's say, and throw them away. Like you legally cannot do that. Um, it has to be processed by um, by another entity that would come and take it, like a, a, a green waste removal type of thing. Um, and I don't know a ton about that process, um, but I do know that you cannot just throw it away. It needs to go through a, a trackable process. Essentially, the government, the state, doesn't want any of this like exactly like showing up in a landfill or um, popping up somewhere. And I think that's mostly in part because it's a scheduled substance or, you know, they don't want, let's say a quote drug ending up in a landfill. Um, but what it does is it also creates a trackable system for how these products are going away. Um, and, you know, I think before it was legalized statewide, there was a lot of, um, and there still is with the black market, with the illegal market, a lot of dangerous waste in terms of chemicals and pesticides that can go from the plants into, the, let's say, a stream and a river and, and our water sources. And so by regulating this industry, we're also protecting people and protecting farmers and people that are kind of more homesteaders um, from this kind of chemi this chemical waste that could be going. And like I said, it's still obviously there with the illegal market, but um, the regulations are are really setting up a model for how farming and agriculture should be treated, you know, regulated and um, 
and you can track the products and then you're ensuring that they're pesticide free and they're clean for the customers. Gotcha. And now for my last question. So marijuana is currently legal in either for medicinal use or recreational use in 29 states, I believe. Um, And there's more you know, bills in other states where they're considering it. Um, And so marijuana use is becoming a lot more mainstream and you're seeing people of all sorts of different backgrounds using it um, in all of its different forms. Uh, But there's still a lot of misconceptions like the, the stoner stereotypes. What are your thoughts on that and how do we dispel those stereotypes um, and show that marijuana isn't this terrible, dangerous thing that it's been made out to be. It's been an interesting transition that I feel like I've been a part of as this has changed and evolved. Um, I was completely embarrassed and scared to tell, let's say, my grandparents or extended family members of what I did. I felt kind of shame around cannabis and being involved in the industry um, because of how it was viewed and how I knew that they would view it during that time. And thankfully, I have really seen a huge transition just, and and I think that it's in part due to the widespread nature of things like hemp CBD. People just, it's a buzzword. People know what CBD is. They're excited about it. I mean, now I have my, those same extended family members are using my products and loving them. So there's definitely been a transition and kind of, you know, coming out of the closet of being afraid to be involved in this industry and be a part of something that really is changing it. So I really, you know, I I like to think that brands like ours that don't have pot leaves all over the packaging that are really trying to show um, a healthy and safe kind of customer base on our Instagram feed and how we market ourselves. I like, I like, I would hope to think that we are changing that as well. Um, Like I said, a lot of the emails I get, are older people, I would say grandparent age, that, you know, it's their first time maybe using something like this. And so they have questions, is it going to get me high? How does it work? Um, And I think that that, you know, having maybe the baby boomer demographic, having them smoke and use topicals and eat edibles, they are finding that they are able to relieve chronic pain, arthritis, skin conditions, anxiety, you know, they're finding relief through cannabis and not through opioids or, you know, other medications. Um, I definitely still think there is a battle to fight and a stigma to fight. Um, And I would say I'm not maybe the most involved in that side of things because we're in California, we're on the West coast, uh, you know, cannabis is pretty, um, it's, it's everywhere. The marketing, the billboards are popping up in LA about cannabis brands. And so I, I think that things have come a really long ways in the last five, 10 years. Um, but, you know, I definitely think education is a big part of that and, um, you know, trying to figure out how we can continue to change that stigma, um, and, and show that this is a really powerful and, um, you know, effective plan. Absolutely. And it's really exciting to, to think about and to wait to see where the entire industry will be 10 years from now, looking back on how far it's come in the last decade. Absolutely. I, I foresee uh, national legalization or a decriminalization where they're not saying it's a scheduled drug within the next two to three years, I would like. Um, and that's when things would get even more exciting for my company. It would mean, you know, maybe... Uh, you're on the shelves at Whole Foods or there's this, it would, it would be kind of treated more like alcohol rather than a drug. Um, it would be treated as something you could go in to a gas station or a natural food store. You can, you can shop, you can ask questions. 
Um, and obviously that model would take a while to develop, but I do see it being um, treated as something similar to alcohol or something similar to uh, natural medicine about how it would be regulated down the line. And, and you know, um, that's really what we're hoping for is, is to be able to get our products to a lot more people. Definitely. And I really hope with national decriminalization comes wiping the past conviction records of people who have marijuana uh, crimes. Oh my gosh, absolutely. It's, um, it seems like some states and governors are working on that right now and doing that. Um, but yeah, that, that, would, that would only be fair and only the right thing to do. So yeah. Absolutely. Well, Thea, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. I had a great time. Thank you so much for listening to the Hippie Haven podcast. Your support means the world to me. If you found value in today's episode, I encourage you to become a patron of the podcast. For just $5 a month, you can help me continue the educational work I'm doing here with all of my wonderful guests. And in return, I'll pick up a bag of trash in your honor. Visit patreon.com forward slash a hippie in a van to support this podcast. I also have an exclusive community for the podcast over on Facebook. So if you want to connect with me and other like-minded people, just type Hippie Haven in the Facebook search bar and join our group. Thanks again and stay tuned every Wednesday for the next episode.